Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we dive into the political expose, Why We Get the Wrong Politicians, by Isabel Hardman. Unshackling the complex web of British politics, Hardman delivers a perceptive analysis, not just of the lawmakers, but of the entire system that puts them in power. Her sharp critique explores the depths of Parliament's structure, unveils the inherent injustices and inefficiencies, and provides thoughtful insights into potential reforms. Isabel Hardman, a distinguished political journalist, brings her expertise to the forefront with this incisive debut. Graduating with a first-class degree in English literature, she quickly established herself as a formidable voice in political journalism, being recognized by GQ as one of the 100 most connected women in the UK, and subsequently earning the title of Journalist of the Year by the Political Studies Association. Currently serving as the assistant editor for The Spectator and penning a weekly column for The Daily Telegraph, Hardman draws upon her extensive knowledge and experience to illuminate the intricacies of government's inner workings. Why We Get the Wrong Politicians is essential reading for British citizens curious about the gears that turn behind the political curtain. It is also invaluable to global politics enthusiasts looking for a nuanced understanding of the UK government. Even more, it serves as a potent wake-up call for politicians, pressing the need for self-reflection and systemic change. Join us as we outline the reasons our political landscape is shaped the way it is, and consider what might be done to improve it. Why We Get the Wrong Politicians, A Quick Tour of British Politics. Introduction. Unmasking the politicos. Beyond the stigma of British leadership, when it comes to UK politicians, it feels like public opinion is settled. These are the folks who chase power, not purpose, treating their roles as ladders to climb rather than mandates to serve. They're lumped together with those least trusted by the public, rubbing shoulders with bankers and real estate agents in the League of Disdain. Yet, not all politicians belong in a scene from House of Cards. Many step into the political arena with courage, fueled by a sincere desire to contribute to their country. It's not the individuals that are necessarily problematic, but rather the nature of the beast, the British parliamentary system itself. Embarking on a political odyssey. Why good politicians are hard to come by. The heart of the matter isn't just a few bad apples. It's an entire orchard that nurtures the wrong kind of growth. From the get-go, the way politicians are selected is shrouded in shades of elitism and detachment from the everyday citizen. Once they're in, the culture within Parliament isn't exactly fostering the cream of the crop either. Lawmakers who dare to prioritise integrity over party lines often find themselves pushed to the fringes, overshadowed by those who nod along for the sake of their careers. The yes-man syndrome and its corrosive effect on governance. One of the silent but deadly infections plaguing UK politics is the yes-man, a figure who epitomises the flaw in seeking harmony over honesty. In the echo chambers of power, those who raise dissenting voices are viewed not as assets, but as obstacles. This compulsion for compliance seeps through the system, 
stripping British politics of the robust debate essential for a healthy democracy. Such a scenario begs the question, if the caretakers of governance are discouraged from due diligence, then who is truly steering the ship? The journey through these insights will reveal the unsettling, undemocratic undercurrents within the political selection process, the troubling reasons why Parliament struggles to nurture effective legislators, and the ways in which the conformity culture is undermining the foundations of UK governance. If British politics is to mend its ways, it must first confront the systemic issues that perpetuate a cycle of inadequate leadership. Only then can real change begin to take root. Stay tuned as we unpack these themes and more in search of a remedy for the malaise at the heart of the UK's corridors of power. Part 1. The High Cost of Candidacy. A Barrier to Democracy. Imagine a world where our leaders emerge like magic on the morning after an election, fully formed and power-bound. While this spellbinding image captures the imagination, the real journey to political office starts far earlier and is often paved with stark inequities. Let's delve into the journey of a British Member of Parliament MP candidate and unpack why it leaves much to be desired in terms of democratic principles and financial logic. When the election spotlight dims, the overlooked selection panels. To secure a spot on the ballot paper, potential MPs must first win favour not with the public, but with a small, influential group of local party members. These gatekeepers, often a handful of local councillors, hold the keys to a prospective candidate's political future. In the Conservative Party, for example, someone eyeing a candidacy in Hemel Hempstead must sway a selection panel, usually a microcosm averaging a mere 250 individuals who are startlingly homogenous when it comes to ethnicity, gender and age, with numbers skewed towards older white men. The steep price tag of political courtship, having navigated the gauntlet of selection, candidates face the daunting reality of a campaign that demands deep pockets. Cutting back on their careers, would-be MPs transform into local philanthropists and tireless campaigners often using personal resources to fund community projects, traverse vast constituencies, and promote their agendas. Not a penny of these hefty expenses, which can accumulate to an average of £34,392, is sponsored by their political parties. The talent drain when wealth trumps worth. This costly barrier to entry doesn't just weed out the less fortunate, it actively discourages those with the talent, but not the treasure. The result is a political scene where the richest in resources, not necessarily the richest in ideas, make it to the starting line. It's no wonder that the few who navigate this financial obstacle course are met with skepticism, though they might not be the villains we envision them to be. Part 2. Behind the Scenes, Humanity and Hardship in the Life of an MP it's a common sport to berate politicians, to cast them as either loathed villains or irrelevant actors in the spectacle of governance. Yet, this image overshadows a stark reality. The life of a Member of Parliament MP is one of dedication amid daunting challenges, when the halls of power echo with confusion. 
Picture the bewilderment of newly elected MPs as they navigate the maze-like palace of Westminster, with its warren of corridors and cryptic customs, feeling as adrift weeks into their tenure as they did on day one. Lacking a structured orientation, MPs must carve out a role for themselves amidst a whirlwind of debates, meetings and media, without the safety net of professional guidance or performance feedback. In this archaic system, even the most committed public servants can find themselves at sea, the silent toll on mental well-being. Amidst the clamor of legislation and lobbying lies a quieter crisis, the mental health of MPs. Westminster's very own medical staff are increasingly equipped to deal with psychiatric hardships, hinting at the pervasive stress that haunts these hallowed halls. From Tory MP Charles Walker's courageous disclosure of his OCD struggles, to the harrowing experiences of Labour's Stella Creasy, who faced abhorrent online threats for supporting the portrayal of Jane Austen on currency, the psychological pressures are as real as they are relentless. Compassion for the plight of political figures. You may argue that a hefty salary of £79,468 a year dulls the plea for empathy. Nevertheless, the health and efficacy of our legislators should concern us all. If MPs are bogged down by an unforgiving work environment and personal tribulations, their capacity to serve the public interest is compromised. This reality also raises alarms about our political future. A job marred by adversity and a tarnished public image is hardly alluring to gifted minds considering a life in politics. Our indifference may be costing us the very leaders we yearn for, those equipped to navigate the complicated machinery of government to steer the country toward prosperity and justice. Part 3. The Overlooked Art of Legislating. How MPs Spend Their Time. If you pause to ponder what it is that MPs do all day, you might conjure up images of heated debates and crafty deceptions. While it's true that their remit includes both the clang of voting bells and the murmur of political machinations, their job description traverses far beyond these well-trodden paths. A juggling act between lawmaking and local loyalty, the essential duties of an MP tilt the scales between two momentous tasks legislating and serving as the voice for their constituency. Add to the mix those who ascend the ranks to ministerial heights, leading crucial government departments, and you have a plate that's not just full, it's overflowing. Yet, contrary to intuitive expectations, legislation receives a startlingly slim slice of their work pie. An exploration by the Hansard Society reveals that only 21% of an MP's time unfolds within the grand stage of law crafting, while nearly half is dedicated to constituents' concerns. The unsung heroism of the constituency surgery. It's during these face-to-face encounters in local surgeries that MPs engage in the understated heroics of resolving issues and providing a listening ear. Such work seldom basks in media spotlights or political prestige, but for the electorate, it's a vital lifeline, a tangible measure of an MP's worth. Consider the plight of a pregnant woman facing the street, abandoned by a callous eviction. Labour MP Karen Buck, with a single call to the council, converted a potential personal catastrophe into a snapshot of immediate relief These surgeries prove to be societal safety valves stepping in where public mechanisms falter, 
reevaluating the balance. Is this the best use of an MP's skills? While the value and impact of a constituency work are undeniable, one cannot help but question if such pursuits are the best application of an MP's robust skill set. Is their time not better spent shaping laws than remedying the failings of past legislation? Moreover, what does it say about the state's social framework when elected officials must intervene to prevent individual crises? It hints at a paradox, where those tasked with fortifying the safety net are instead consumed by patching holes directly. This subtle contradiction lays bare a deeper problem, that the very people empowered to envision and enact change are often preoccupied with its consequences rather than its creation. Part 4. The Murky Waters of British Billmaking Embark on a quest to unravel the mysteries of the UK's legislative labyrinth and brace yourself for bewilderment. It's not the ignorance of the populace that muffles the machinations of lawmaking. It's the Byzantine nature of the process itself, the illusion of scrutiny in the legislative process. At first glance, the UK parliamentary protocol for passing bills plays out like a model democratic exercise, filled with debate, analysis and due consideration. A bill drifts through the House of Commons, floating from formal introductions to spirited debates over its foundational principles. Post-debate, it plunges into the rigours of committee scrutiny, where minutiae are meant to be mulled over and amendments are meticulously offered. Ultimately, after trekking through the Commons and the House of Lords, the bill awaits its fate at the hands of all MP votes. Yet what is diligently designed on paper diverges dramatically in practice. The whipping winds of party politics, the core obstacle impeding genuine legislative scrutiny, is none other than the parliamentary whipping system. Here lie the party's watchful guardians, the whips, who ply their trade not with leather but with leverage, calibrating political careers to the tune of party allegiance. To defy party lines is to dance on the tightrope of one's career a perilous performance few dare to execute. More insidiously, this whipping culture doesn't just sway the votes, it seeps into the soul of scrutiny. By hand-picking the committee participants, the system ensures the deck is stacked with party devotees rather than subject matter savants. The result? A committee phase engineered more as a test of loyalty than a crucible of critique. In the throes of this partisan puppetry, Britain's political scaffolding unwittingly morphs legislators into actors on a stage of conformity. Key opportunities for scrutiny and holistic lawmaking are eclipsed by the shadow of allegiance, casting doubt on the sanctity of the legislative process itself. Part 5. Amidst flaws, select committees shine as beacons in British lawmaking. Within the intricate workings of Westminster, lies a glimmer of hope for thorough legislation, the esteemed select committees. These panels, which mirror the varied departments and issues within the state, such as the Department for Education or themes like science and technology, represent the convergence of MPs from all political stripes. The mandate of these committees is formidable. They wield the clout to initiate inquiries and demand answers from the highest tiers of ministerial power delving into the nitty-gritty of governmental actions, freeing MPs from the shackles of partisanship 
select committees grant MPs a rare form of liberty in the parliamentary jungle. The freedom to engage in earnest legislative dissection, safe from the punitive gaze of party whips. This environment not so subtly nudges away the notions of blind loyalty, creating a space where probing one's own party is not only permissible but expected, an efficient watchdog, yet not infallible. It's within the sturdy walls of these committees that legislative pitfalls can be illuminated and corrective measures set in motion. However, select committees are not omnipotent shields against the government's missteps, particularly when policies cascade down from the highest echelons of power. Cue the omnishambles budget kerfuffle of 2012, presided over by Chancellor George Osborne. Akin to a political wrecking ball, Osborne's budget proposals battered the working class with harsh taxes on everyday comforts and imposed constraints on charity tax reliefs. Amid public uproar and a tarnished reputation, Osborne beat a hasty, humbling retreat, a cautionary tale of disconnect. So where did an astute politician like Osborne stumble? It was not in the numbers, but in the nuance. Enveloped in a bubble of privilege that echoed his own socio-economic status, his policies betrayed a stark disconnect with the populace he served. Despite the barriers that preclude diverse political representation, the responsibility to venture beyond one's narrow worldview falls on each politician. Osborne's failure to engage with the lived realities of regular Britons was a misstep, emblematic of the broader insularity permeating Parliament. Osborne's miscalculation is symptomatic of a deeper malaise, a culture that sidelines the voices of those outside the halls of power. Select committees, while adept at due diligence, are but one check against a system that often echoes itself rather than the society it represents. Part 6. The corrosive allure of ministerial power and the undervaluing of MPs. In the fertile yet fraught soil of British politics, a culture has taken root that undermines the very essence of public service. The structures that should uplift diligent lawmakers instead perpetuate a cycle discouraging the pursuit of legislative excellence. Climbing the government ladder, the irresistible siren of ministerial status. In the British political arena, where ambitions soar as high as the iconic Big Ben, the path to success is often equated with securing a ministerial berth. With the executive branch offering tantalizing perks, an extra £33,000 a year, the limelight of the media, and the power to shape national policy. The journey to the top could lead politicians to turn a blind eye to legislative imperfections if it means rising in government ranks. The stark disparity in recognition between a backbencher and a minister. What happens when a political tide turns, washing ministers back to the more humble shores of backbenchers? The plunge from prestige can be a tough pill to swallow as evidenced by the aftermath of David Cameron's 2014 government reshuffle. Esteemed figures like William Hague lost their ministerial clout and, unable to reconcile with the diminished status, eventually vacated their parliamentary seats. This exodus of expertise leaves parliamentary debates poorer and bill readings bereft of seasoned input, a transient tenure, the fading appeal of lifelong public service. 
This phenomenon feeds into a broader narrative where MPs see their roles as temporal stepping stones rather than lifelong vocations. The stories of David Cameron and George Osborne, who gracefully glided into gratifying and profitable pursuits post-politics, underscore the diminishing allure of staying in the ring of governance, redefining the reward system to celebrate legislative mastery. If British politics seeks to reverse this detrimental trend, it must recalibrate the reward system. Excellence and commitment as an MP must be lauded and esteemed, matching, if not exceeding, the glory associated with ministerial roles. By lionizing those who toil diligently in the legislative trenches, the political culture may cultivate a new breed of politician, one that finds enduring satisfaction in the craft of lawmaking and the service to the nation. Only then can the groundwater of governance be purified from the toxins of a skewed incentive system. Part 7. The Perilous Rise of the Parliamentary Yes-Man In the shadowy nooks of the British Parliament, a figure lurks that is far more destructive than any lobbyist or adversary, the Yes-Man, as MPs eye the alluring path to power within their party's hierarchy, the integrity of their legislative responsibilities can falter. In their bid for promotions and favour, yes-men sidestep the rigours of informed debate and scrutiny, opting instead to rubber-stamp decisions aligned with their leadership's agenda. Constituency duties versus the deluge of legislation. It would be unfair to place the entirety of the blame on the shoulders of these politicians when the very nature of their work sets them up for an uphill battle. MPs are swamped with a deluge of bills while they simultaneously grapple with the demands of their constituencies. The resulting time poverty creates ripe conditions for half-baked voting rather than thoughtful legislative participation. The easy path of the party line. Confronted with the Herculean task of staying abreast of every bill, MPs might find solace in the simplicity of the party whip's directive. Voting according to instructions, rather than from a wellspring of knowledge, yes-men often skirt around the substance of the legislation they are passing, sometimes preferring party principles over parliamentary prudence. The cautionary tale of the bedroom tax. Nothing encapsulates the folly of the yes-man like the bedroom tax, a misstep in policy aimed at addressing the UK's social housing conundrum. In 2010, legislatures looked to resolve the divergence between overcrowded and under-occupied social homes. Their solution? A reduction in housing benefits that hit even those who had no option to downsize. Sadly, it was a measure that was more punitive than pragmatic leading to widespread financial distress and, as some activists argue, a tragic spate of suicides. Amidst this legislative debacle, only a handful of backbenchers dared to challenge or support the policy, and that too at the behest of their whips. Genuine attempts to dissect and debate drowned in a sea of complacency, underscoring the corrosive extent of the yes-man culture. Navigating a broken system Such catastrophic outcomes beg the question, how can the UK rectify a system that cultivates conformity of a critical thinking? With the stakes as high as the well-being of its very citizens, 
it's imperative to rethink and repair the mechanisms that have allowed the parliamentary yes-man to thrive and to restore the sanctity of informed, independent political decision-making. Part 8. Blueprint for a Rejuvenated British Democracy Confronted with the convolutions of Westminster, one might be tempted to declare the entire structure a lost cause. However, there are practical and pragmatic steps that can be taken to revitalise the British political system, ensuring that the corridors of power are filled with the right politicians. Opening the gates, democratising the MP selection process. A guiding principle for reform should be to infuse the MP selection process with a dose of democracy. By diversifying selection panels and providing financial backing for candidates through grants or stipends, the UK can cultivate a pool of representatives that truly mirrors its populace. This approach not only democratizes the process, but also dismantles the economic barriers that deter emerging political talents, separating powers to refine focus. The existing blend of legislative and executive roles within an MP's job description breeds conflicts of interest and distracting aspirations for upward mobility. A clear delimitation is necessary, one that fully extricates these functions, thereby sharpening an MP's legislative acumen and allowing the Prime Minister the leeway to appoint ministers based on merit, potentially even beyond party lines, holding MPs to their legislative record. There is little to no tradition of retrospectively holding MPs accountable for their legislative actions. Implementing a public payback mechanism where MPs defend their voting record and legislative initiatives before a panel of experts and affected citizens could inject accountability into the system. This would press MPs to think critically about the laws they support, moving away from wholesale allegiance to party edicts, cultural shifts within Parliament. The final piece of the puzzle involves shifting the Parliament's cultural values Training for new MPs, not just in parliamentary procedure but also in the art of legislation, is a foundational step. Moreover, incentives should be aligned to celebrate and promote the diligent work of MPs, prioritizing legislative achievement over ministerial aspiration. Through committed adoption of such reforms, Britain can pave the way for a parliament that both reflects the diversity and serves the needs of its country. These steps promise a future where politicians are not only painstakingly selected and better equipped, but also fervently committed to their roles as purveyors of the public good. Final Summary In dissecting the complex creature that is the UK political system, a surprising narrative emerges. Politicians themselves are not the villains of this story. Rather, they are individuals with aspirations to impact the nation positively, caught in the gears of a parliamentary machine that is rife with systemic issues. The true culprits lie within the structure and the ingrained culture of Parliament, a realm that often elevates homogeneity, rewards subservience and stifles rigorous legislative scrutiny. This environment not only alienates those who diverge from a narrow socio-economic mould, but also propels MPs toward executive glory over legislative diligence, nudging them away from the critical examination of the laws they enact. A roadmap to reform 
guides us towards democratization of candidate selection, separation of powers to disentangle legislative and executive branches, and mechanisms for political accountability. These changes promise to reinvigorate the political sphere, prioritize legislative prowess, and foster an environment where a diversity of voices can thrive. In conclusion, forging a brighter future for the UK's governance involves a recommitment to equitable representation and a renaissance of parliamentary culture. By resetting the course, we lay the groundwork for an era where the right politicians, capable, diverse, and dedicated, steer the ship of state toward a more promising horizon. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then, happy reading and happy listening.